This sermon is brought to you by Shofar Christian Church. We hope that you will be blessed by this message. Our audio and video sermons are also available on Shofar TV to download and share. So we're talking about worship. And um, I think sometimes we think worship is a song that we sing. Let me just see. How many of you were here last week? Raise your hand. You were here last week. Just raise very high. I don't know how much I must repeat. I can't see half of you, but in any case, how many of you are not yet? That's obviously the other people. This is, raise your hand. Okay, that's, let's just go straight on. Okay, so, so I'm going to repeat a couple of um, slides we uh, looked at last week, but most take a bit of a different angle. Last week, we asked the question, is your God an Instagram God? And this week, we asked, is your God a Netflix or a YouTube God? Uh, so wait for next week. But in any case, we have been created to worship. And uh, everything has been made for Him. Uh, that's what we saw in Colossians 1 verse 16 to 18. For by Him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things and he, in Him all things consist. Let's read that scripture together. But with passion. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and are that are on the earth, visible and invisible. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist. What a, what a scripture. Everything has been created to worship. And you will worship, whether you're going to worship God, whether you're going to worship yourself, whether you're going to worship the world, everyone out there is worshiping. And uh, worship, like I said, is not about a song, but we saw last week, worship is our response to what we value the most. Worship is our response. How do you respond to that thing, that person, God, yourself, what do you value the most, the thing that takes the highest priority in my life? For the Christian, it is a response to who God is and what He has done. And so you have to ask a very basic question, is where does my affection, time, energy, money, thoughts go to? What, what do I direct my life towards? That is what you worship, not what you do here on a Sunday. Uh, and I'm not saying that work and studies are not important because one of the students obviously are like, oh, that means I don't need to study anymore. <laughs> work and studies is, hey, I want to glorify God through my work, through my studies, because everything is directed towards seeking His kingdom. That's our theme scripture for this year, Matthew 6.33. First seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and then He will add all things to us. Okay, so that's so important that you and I begin to realize that we are here for Him. He's not here for us. Okay, turn to your neighbor and say, He is not here to serve you. You and I are here to serve Him. Uh, can you just the lights, just a third of the lights, please? Not all the lights on. Okay, so here we go. So the question is, how big is God? How big is God? Psalm 19 verse 1, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows His handiwork. Isn't that crazy? The heavens declare the glory of God. I don't know if you saw the full moon, you know. If you look at the, you know, I don't know what the free state people do. If you look at the mountains, you know, there, there apparently a hill, signal hill. I don't know what it is. What's the hill there? Kopi, you know. 
cup. What's the, oh, all the free state people, they call it a mountain, but, you know, hallelujah. But when you look up to the mountains, you know, when you look at the glory of God, we see that. And no one can say that God is not magnificent. He's not like, wow. And if you lose your wow, you're in trouble. And the problem with our society, our individualistic, self-focused society, it, it makes us sit at the, on the throne of our lives, at the center of our worship. So we looked last week and we saw that worship is a lifestyle. There are two aspects of worship, to bow before, to reverence, to adore, and to serve. means I bring reverence to God and I give my life to serve Him. Even the word Lord, if I say Lord Jesus, it's the word curious, which means He is my owner. I am His possession. That means that if, if somebody owns me, I don't actually even have a right of choosing anymore. I've given up my rights. I've given up my titles. I've given up my status. We should make a t-shirt for all Christians and say, no reputation. You think it will sell? <laughs> you know, if you go to uh, many parts of the Middle East, you know, their conferences isn't like the Western conference that says, hey, come, blessing, get your blessing, God will prosper you, press down, shaken together, running over. I've been to many conferences in India and in the Middle East, in Iran. You know what the conference says? It says, how to endure persecution joyfully. And the church come. Because so much of their life is about what happens in the heart, not what we experience on the outside. But we have been conditioned to believe a lie that if we fill our lives on the outside, the outside determines who we are. The things that happen there, the places I go. I told the story last week, you know, we went to this community in KZN and the people, the, the depth of their relationships is just crazy. They just love each other, they care for each other, and I realize just because there's nothing else to do. <laughs> but here, what do we do? Oh, you know, I need to go there this weekend, I need to go do that, I need to go do that. I fill my life with so many things, and yet our relationship with God and each other becomes so superficial. And God says, I, I want to draw you closer, I want, I want you to experience that, you know? And so... Um, my, my son turned 13, and normally, you know, like the Jews do, sometimes we do like a bit of a ceremony, and we bless them. So I took him yesterday for um, jumping parachute, you know, with somebody that you jump with, you know. So there at, at Signal Hill, it's crazy. A couple of, three years ago, somebody gave me that a ticket to go and jump. And I thought like, well, yeah, yeah, you're just like... You just like jump, you know, and then you get to that place where they strap you up and there's a parachute behind the guy. Now you, you, the first question you ask this guy that you get strapped to is like, how many times have you done this? You know, <laughs> about 8,000 times. Now you be, 8,000 times you begin to recognize oh, 8,000. Okay, that's quite safe. The next question is always, I'm glad you're alive, but how many times did you fall? You know, nah, just once or twice, but not, not, not like heavily. You think like, one out of 8,000, two out of 8,000. Because now it's a trust issue. You know, this guy, you, you're being strapped to this guy, and the parachute is at the back, and you, here you're going to go. And then he says, you're going to run for 12 meters, and there's a cliff down there. There's a little, like, 
They try to make it very nice. They even put like nice flowers on the side. It's almost like on your coffin, you know. And, and, and these things begin to like go through your mind, you know. And so here's my turn. But there's a lady, this tourist lady that goes before me, you know. Now, I'm already strapped onto this guy. We're ready to go, but she's going first. And uh, she, she probably didn't, she probably heard the instructions, but didn't follow through. Because the problem was uh, somewhere she stopped running. Now, because you have to run with the guy and then she just fell. And I saw how she was dragged for 10 meters. <laughs> what, a, what a confidence booster. I'm next, you know. I'm thinking like, ooh, I need to go to the loo. You know, it's amazing how many non-confident type of things you try to do when you realize like, ooh, I'm next, you know. But now you have to trust this person that you're attached to. And now he says, run, and you have to run. You just, you just believe that this guy's scientific stuff and all his calculations is right. And here you go, and you run, and it's the worst 10 meters of your life. You lose 10 kilograms just in running. So if you want to go on a diet, just go jump off a cliff, you know? Just, just you lose a lot, you know? But so hopefully not your life. But in any case, so then you, you run, and then the next moment he pulls up that parachute, and then you go, you know? And you go up, and then suddenly you just fly over Cape Town. And the higher you go, the more perspective you begin to see how small Cape Town is and how beautiful it is. But if you're not up there and you're still running and you're just sweating and you're like, am I going to trust Jesus? Am I, I going to hook on to him, you know? Or am I going to try and do it myself? That's sort of a picture for so many of us is we, we want to take control and we, we want to sort of we want to say, like, oh, maybe I will serve God if this or that, and the Lord says, you can trust me. But are, are you willing to go there? Are you willing to surrender? You know, because uh, we've become a generation, all of us here under the age of 23, including myself, is amazing. You know, we just want to, we want to be entertained. And so we looked last week at the definitions of the problem in the West is idolatry. Our culture forces us and brings us into a place where we worship idols, but we actually don't know it. And so what is an idol is anything we place above our devotion to Jesus. It can be something or someone you cannot live without. It can be a boyfriend. It can be a girlfriend. It can be a desire for a boyfriend or a desire for a girlfriend. It can be your studies. It can be your experiences with God. It can be really nice stuff even. It can be your husband, your wife, your children, your desire for a husband, a wife, or a children. Something you spend most of your passion, energy on that gives you hope, meaning, identity, and happiness. Anything you place above Jesus fulfilling your life can become an idol. And so when you go to India, when you go to other nations, you see these massive idols, and you think like, whoa, they have a lot of idols, you know? Those Indian people, it's not just like, you know, the stuff they eat. These things are like huge, you know? They're like, Poo, all over, you know? And they walk around it, and there, there you can see the idols. The problem is, in the West, we have idols in our hearts, and they're huge. They occupy. They take control. People will do whatever. And last week I said it, you know, what we do in the world, we say, oh, I'm going to be successful. I'm going to be beautiful. I'm, I'm going to just be amazing. And then we become Christians. And you know what we do? We say, I'm going to be successful for Jesus. I'm going to be beautiful for Jesus. I'm going to be amazing for Jesus. I'm going to be famous for Jesus. So we add for Jesus. And he can't be added. 
He's either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. Sure, is that tough? Is that truth? I told you, I love you. I'm going to speak the truth. That's why the church is so powerless in the West. Is because we have a mixture. We have a mixture in our culture. What we call worship is not what God defines as worship. So when they go into the promised land, I told you last week, when they went to the promised land, you know the first thing they had to do, the first group died because they never had that which God put in their hearts. They all died in the wilderness except Joshua and Caleb. So Caleb comes around the second time and Caleb says, I'm stronger now than what I was the first time when I came in here. So Joshua says, okay, now take the, take the hills up there, you know, run for it. He's 80 years old. Wow, 80 years old. I remember meeting this um, uncle, he was 83 in uh, Burma, which is now Myanmar. Uh, we met them in the northern parts and, and him and his wife, and they were like, they came out of this church service and they were just like shaking. I think like, oh, is this guy going to get a heart attack? And I said to him like, uncle, what's happening? He says, I'm so excited. I'm 83 years old and the Lord in the service just gave us the go ahead to go and plant a new church. I think like, What? He says, yes, the Lord gave us a commission to go into the north and plant a new church. But we're just buying a one-way ticket. Sure. Colossians 3 verse 5 says, If then you were raised with Christ, because Scripture says you have been, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God, he says, seek those things that are above, and then secondly, set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. Why? For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. That's how God sees it. You've died. Turn to neighbor and say, hello, dead person. <laughs> if you are a Christian, that's what the scripture says. You no longer have your own life. You've died. You've, you're hidden with Christ. And so even when the enemy, when the devil, oh, slap foot, or oh, what is that in English? Slap feet. You know, when slap feet comes along and he looks at you, then, then he, when you're hidden in Christ, he doesn't see you. He sees Christ. Isn't that amazing? But the world says find your identity out there and the things and the stuff. And it's getting very quiet here. So in Acts chapter 20, Paul writes about this thing, because remember we said worship is reverence, adoring, seeing Him who He is. It's getting, trusting, strapping yourself unto Jesus, running, giving over, and then go up so that you can see where He is. You're seated with Christ. You set your heart on eternal things. Like we sang that song tonight. Hey, I'm getting ready. I'm getting ready. We're getting ready. Everything we're doing is preparing for Him to come. And that's what we miss as the church in the West, especially I'm knocking the church a bit in the West as us, not as them out there. This, we are part of that. It's like, hey, we've lost our desire for the bridegroom to come back. The first church, you know how they greeted each other in the same way the people in the Middle East are greeting each other. They say, Maranatha, our Lord Jesus, come tonight, now, come. They were always ready. Maranatha, they didn't say hello, goodbye, they said Maranatha, may Jesus come, he's coming soon. 
I've told the story many times, but there was one bride that walked down the aisle. I actually did a favor for another pastor that got sick. He uh, went to the White Throne Judgment, and his stomach was running all night, and he vomited the rest of the night. So he went to the toilet. He, he really got ministry all over the place, you know? So, so now I'm standing. I don't know the couple. It's quite weird. I'm just doing a massive favor for this pastor. And so the bride walks down the aisle. When she started walking, I got a headache. I thought, like, is this weird? And the bridegroom is standing there, but not once did that bride look into the eyes of the bridegroom. She was walking down and high-fiving. So she's going like this, like, hey, high-fiving. Yeah, yeah, thank you, thank you. Don't hang, leave me hanging there, okay? <laughs> yes, hey, how's it going in Dagbrek? Yes, be amazing people, yeah. Hello. She was greeting everybody, and like, I'm thinking, like, what? Sure. If I was the right room, I would have dumped her straight away. <laughs> but it's quite awkward. And you know what? Nine months later, they were divorced. Because she was so distracted. But that's sometimes how the church are. We come like... Oh, check that chick on the stage. <laughs> She's there. I need to get there. Paul writes in Acts chapter 20, 30, I have shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said it is more blessed to give than to receive. The motto of Christianity, it is more blessed to give than to receive. The motto of the world is, Consume, receive, be entertained. Let's Netflix God and let's YouTube. Because we love our entertainment and we're being set up as a generation to not become worshipers. Because what happens if you settle just for entertainment? I'm not against your Orange River trip. The Dagbrek and the Rinak people. I'm not against that. That's amazing. But when you go, go and disciple people. Go and pray. Let it be a kingdom. Then say, Lord, what, what, how do you want to use me on this trip? So I'm not against doing nice things and going cycling and all of that stuff. So please don't misread what we're saying. But if you settle for a lifestyle of entertainment and consumerism, it will lead to entitlement. And that will lead to self-worship. And Jesus warned us. In Matthew 24, go and read the whole chapter. He says, you know, one of the last things that will happen in the earth is the love of many will grow cold. A selfish generation is a loveless generation. They cannot give. So this past week I was asking, or two weeks ago I asked the Lord, Lord, what's going on in the Middle East? And then the Monday, or when, when was it the Friday, the Taliban ran into Afghanistan and then the Holy Spirit woke me up in the middle of the night. I wept for four hours. I didn't know what was happening. I thought like, ooh, am I having an emotional breakdown? I don't know, but I was just praying in the Spirit. The next night I woke up again, and then our friends out of Afghanistan told us they're busy executing Christians, shooting them. Some of the families are in the mountains all over. And see, then suddenly you begin to ask God, okay, Lord, what is on your heart? Well, my family in the Middle East is busy dying. How can I still go on in the same way 
No, but, but they're up there. Lord, bless them because it's such a privilege to be martyred, you know. But we begin to pray with our head, not with our heart. Imagine it's your mom. Imagine it's your brother. And when you begin to pray like that, suddenly God begins to stir something inside of you because you begin to empathize, empathize, you begin to sympathize, you begin to love. And God actually begins to stir you in a place where it hurts so much that you just want to run away. And that's true Christianity. That's true worship. I can tell you so many times we've been in Iran, in places in the Middle East, and then God says, no, you're not going to worship with your words today. You're going to worship with your tears. Will you allow me to break you? Will you allow me to stir inside of you something that is, that is just inexplainable? It's called the love of Christ. It's called the, the, the ability to go beyond just yourself and your own selfish entitlement because then you begin to serve God. Then you begin to give out of a place where you realize it's not because you are so strong or because you're like this super Christian and you're like this amazing Christian because, hey, you can sing in the tune, you know? You can get all the right notes. You know, the only notes I get is a 20 rand note. You know, my notes are wrong. When I have to be over 50 rand, I just, it's a five rand coin always. I don't know. Is anybody else that can identify with that type of notes, you know? You know, sure. The other day, the staff was getting together, and I thought, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put in one song, you know? It wasn't on the CD player. Later, everybody stopped and said, Pastor, stick to your gifting. I'm still forgiving Valio for that. But in any case, so, you know. <laughs> but it's crazy, you know. What are you giving to Jesus? Yes, we don't sing like the angels in front here, you know. But are you serving him? You see, what's going to be the words one day when Jesus greets you and me? Well done, good and faithful singer. Churchgoer. Servant. Servant. So when we serve and when we give, we actually become more thankful because it's out of obedience. It's out of that place of we've discovered God's unconditional love. And so you can only love God because He first loved you. Did you know that? You can try to psych yourself up to love God and be a nice Christian and be a good person, but you can't. You must ask God. You must say, God, help me to love you. And that's what we pray. Lord, break my heart for what breaks yours. So you're sitting there in Dachbriek or you're sitting there in Lydia. And you say, God, what's on your heart for this race? Or you walk through this campus and you say, God, what's on your heart for this campus? Or you go to your small group on Wednesday night. And we have a saying in this church, join a small group or die. Okay? If you're not in a small group. You're not going to make it in the last days, sorry. Because whatever God does, He does it through community. The, the days of superstars is over. It's the body of Christ rising up. It's the people of God, you know. No superstars in the kingdom. There's really no superstars. Because the lady cleaning the to toilets here, do you know how spiritual she is? She prays for you that you'll have visitations when you sit on that toilet or on that toilet or on that toilet. Just so many testimonies because, you know, this place is consecrated because people have been praying here. People have been worshiping here. There's a, there's a whole team of people hosting more than 
almost 750 people that will be joining here all over this place. Today, they're serving. And they're going to be accredited for the rewards. I'm just doing a small little thing up here. Sometimes trying to be funny, and then people tell me my jokes isn't funny, but as long as, you know, the renter crowd laughs because it's your own family, okay? The crazy part is just like serving is beautiful because you learn to give, but you learn to give not out of your own strength. You learn to give because God loves you so much, and so you only give back to Him what He's already given to you, and that's so beautiful. That's why even stuff, you know, people say like, hey, this church, you know, these people, they're only talking about tithing. I should pay a tithe. No, you shouldn't pay a tithe. You should pay 100%. Everything. You should get into that offering bag, you know. If you could fit into it. Now, everything belongs to Jesus in any case. How, why do you reason with him like, you should ask Lord like, hey, Lord, teach me to be a giver, a worshiper. Because you can't give from here. You have to give from here. It's all about the issue of the heart. Then you discover unconditional love. Then you begin, you know. We, our offices, you know, is there on the side. And Tosca opened a coffee shop there. You must, you're not allowed to drink coffee anywhere else. But except that Tosca's coffee shop. Just amazing, you know. But <clears throat> I used to walk up to the town. And I call it my persecution road, you know. Because all the people that live on the street here. If you live here for more than 10 years, they know your name, and they know you're a pastor from the church. So now I'm walking, minding my own business, and it's like, Sias! Melani, come on, Something like, oh. Sometimes, just for peace of mind, I walk through campus, past Eendracht, just to come down, Kutzenburg, to come to this side. I walk four kilometers, just like, because I know I'm going to be persecuted, because people know my name, you know? But you know what I pray? Say, Lord, give me a love for these people because there are 200 of them living on our streets, sleeping here in the cold. Do you know how easy it is to harden your heart? Every good and every perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Everything that's good in your life comes from God, not from your parents, not because you're so smart, not because I'm so smart, not because I can have a choice of the nice shoes I have or the nice degree. Even your intellect, the ability to study here, comes from God. And you can take that glory for yourself, and you can sit on the throne of your life, and I can sit on the throne of my life, or you can put him on his rightful place. That's called worship. So worship comes out of that deep brokenness that I want to serve God. I owe everything to him. He doesn't demand it, but it's my response because I value what he did on the cross. That is the greatest thing. I'm free. He set me free. He's forgiven me. I was supposed to hang on that cross. You know, there's this big movie. How many of you have seen the movie Gladiator? Gladiator, probably all the men, all the ladies think like, what is that? That's the bigger man's movie. But in any case, there's this gory scene where he goes into this big auditorium area and now he has to fight for his life or they're going to kill him so they literally kill people it's, it's quite a gory movie so he comes in and he kills one and then he goes like oh, and then finally this final and then he pulls out two swords and then I, bah! I watch it five times today you know he cuts off the head very gory my favorite movie and so 
Then he turns around and he goes up and he says, Are you not entertained? No, no, he doesn't say that. Are you not entertained? My this is a little different. Let me. Yeah, it's definitely a different accent. But so. <laughs> yeah? I wonder what the angel says. Like, are we going to go for the next entertainment? Because you and I actually know we're really truthful, and that's why worship starts by being truthful. Jesus says the only way you can worship him is in spirit and in truth. Truthful with where you're at, your dependency on him, your need for him, but also truthful as to who he is. He's not my buddy. He's not my, hey, dance partner. He's not my quick fix, Lord Genie. He's Lord of all. Sorry, is there any genies in the house? I'm talking about like the genie, the guy that brings the smoke out. But so, it says God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. We need a truth encounter. And so the Holy Spirit is the only one that can show you who God really is. That makes you very humble. That makes you very hungry because you can't even worship God. I can't because, hey, my doctrine says you can only worship with the right hand up, with the 45 degrees, and when you sing in Old King James, high and lifted up. And then you have to have a different voice, you know. No, no, my doctrine says, like, he's a hipster. Da, 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 da. And I look at some of the stuff that comes out of America, and I think, like, what? Are you in a rock concert, you know? Yeah, yeah, come on, church, come on. We do. Where should we come to? Come on, bring it on. What? Where do we come to? We should have a different saying at least. Fall down. Repent on. Maybe we'll have a new song, repent on, you know. A new word, not come on, repent on, you know. Humble on, you know. I'm just having some fun. But in any case, we're running out of time. The second thing when we worship, firstly we worship in spirit and truth. The second thing is we worship with our obedience. I love what John Bevere, some people say John Severe says. <laughs> obedience is the highest form of worship. That's how Jesus measures your love towards him. And again, you can't do it. You can't be, we're not talking about perfection. We're not talking about condemnation. We're not talking about accusation. We're talking about an invitation. That Jesus says, I, I want to help you to worship me because you can't. But you need to bring your heart. You need to bring everything. There's no token worship. There's no token following Christ. And so the people that really worshiped Jesus was the woman that broke the alabaster flask, the oil, she took the oil, put it on his feet. The Pharisee spirit said, oh, be careful. Jesus, you really don't know where she got that. Because she got that oil through prostitution. And how can you accept worship like that? And then Jesus says, this woman, watch it. You stand there, but you were not willing to wash my feet. She worshiped out of her complete brokenness, her complete dependency. So we also saw that 
We can't be religious around Jesus. Sometimes we think like, oh, we as a church, we have a nice band, you know, we have a worship leader that it's amazing cave, you know, Rainier. Amen, y'all. You know? Sorry, he's getting married on Saturday to this beautiful lady sitting in front here. Six sleepies. You know, if I could only have a cave like him. But worship isn't about that. It's when you and I begin to bring our utter brokenness to him. When you bring your, all your successes to him, you begin to say, God, I'm willing to lay it all down. It's always sacrificial. Love is sacrificial. It's not easy. It's not easy to really worship God. But Jesus said, like, hey, if you want to worship me, you, you have to give everything. <laughs> he says, if, if you put your hand to the plow and you look back into the world and you go back, you have no part in me. Jesus will never ask something of you that he has not done himself. That he has not made provision for you to do. So not for one moment try to think you can do it in your own strength. You can't. And so the beautiful thing that we call sonship and daughtership, it's, it's, so, it's, it's so crazy. Because Romans, the book of Romans is, is a book on the doctrines of the Bible. You know, there's, it's just a beautiful book. It's a lot of things and, and it mentions a lot of ideas, the idea of being born again, sanctification, predestination, identification, glorification. It goes on with a lot of themes through the book. And some people get stuck in Romans because especially with election and predestination and foreknowledge and they want to get very intellectual around God and try to figure God into their doctrines, pull Jesus down to their understanding. And they miss the whole point. They go back into hyper-Calvinism, like, oh, you know, and they make God really a loveless God. But I love at the center of the book of Romans, there's this one passage that sort of deals with worship and deals with something that we are talking about. And so, in Romans chapter 8, verse 12, he actually starts in verse 1, he says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ, for those who walk according to the Spirit and not the flesh. And then he begins to sort of unpack this part of worship. He says, you're going to need to choose as a Christian, am I going to be a spiritual Christian or am I going to be a fleshly Christian? Because if I'm, if I'm in the flesh, it means like it's always, it's always what I do and how good I am. And I, I always compete with the one next to me, you know, because she sings beautiful. And, you know, Pierre, when Pierre goes to the gym, it's 120, ki- how many kilograms? How much have you been spressed, Pierre? 140. Ethan, 140. Pierre does 140. Ruan, how much do you do? 20. Okay. Tao, 60. Oh, you're better than Ruan. <laughs> Hallelujah. Let's choose some other people here, you know? Josh, oh, you bench press angels. I know you are. I know you don't even go to the gym. You're much more spiritual than that. The crazy part is, you know, we start to compete, and then we sit in our small group, and we realize, like, oh, you're just a spiritualist. But God has actually called you to serve that person in your small group. So Romans chapter 8, verse 12. Therefore, brethren and sisterin and children and fatherin and motherin, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. 
For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. There's a massive war going on in your life. And that war is not so much against Satan. It's to put to death the deeds of the body, the flesh. The fleshly emotions, the desires, the food, the pleasures, the beauty, the things, all of that stuff. Then he says there's an invitation for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. The whole world is being motivated by fear. And that fear brings people into slavery, into bondage, because what you worship, you will be enslaved to, you will imitate, you will become like it. You've never been designed to worship yourself or worship other people, worship other things. And this is what he's talking about. He says, there's this battle. He's talking to Christians. He says, there's this battle inside of you. And we all know, you know, we wake up and the spirit of Duvet is all over you. And you think like, oh, the spirit of Ricoffee, I refuse. And the spirit of Cappuccino, come, you know. And then you think like, yeah, there's a battle every morning just to wake up, you know. It says, for you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received, this is what you did receive, the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. And then he says, the work of the Holy Spirit, that's why you can't be a Christian without the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Sorry, you're going to make a mess. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him, that we also may be glorified together. What's part of that suffering is to deny your flesh. Part of that suffering is the fear of what people think about you. Oh, what are they going to say when you go to that chauffeur church? No, no, it just happened to be at Polaris Spire, and I thought it was another church, you know. Now, those people are too fundamental because, hey, you can't, you can't, you know, we should be Sunday Christians. This thing that you should be a Christian on a Saturday and a Friday. No, 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 no. Leave your Christian jacket at the door of the pub. Because there we're going to worship. Oh, we worship. Hallelujah. But in any case, I, for I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. The sufferings that you go through, because to be a Christian, to walk the road with Christ is not easy. Firstly, because of the battle inside of you, and then secondly, the battle out there for your devotion. There's a battle for your worship. And you have to decide who you're going to worship. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy. It's not worthy. It's not remotely compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. And then he says this, look here. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons and the daughters of God. For this creation was subject to fertility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected in it a hope. It says, like, even nature is waiting 
for the sons and the daughters of God to begin to worship Him. But there's a battle for your worship. And that's why it says even creation, the mountains around Stellenbosch, they say, when is she going to start to worship? When is she going to? Jesus said it. You remember when He came into Jerusalem? The kids, the children recognize that there's something spiritual happening because you're the most spiritual between the ages of zero and seven. As a human being, your most spiritual spiritual time in your life is between the ages of zero and seven. And that's why the devil wants to abuse and sexually molest and hurt children so that the image of God is distorted. But the children recognized who Jesus was. The Bible says, out of the nurse of babes and infants, I will perfect praise. So when Jesus came into Jerusalem, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious people, they're going bananas and saying, oh, no. They threw their stuff. You know, he came on a donkey, and then the children said, hallelujah to the son of David. Hallelujah. And when the children started to scream and praise out, they just spontaneously started to burst out because their spirits were pure. And they started to worship God. And then the people around them says like, no, 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 you can't worship. Just tell them to be quiet. Jesus says, if they don't worship, the rocks will begin to cry out. It's a direct connection to this scripture. That creation is waiting for a generation that will forsake all to worship their king. And that's why I say there's a lie in your life. Our culture is lying to us. It says, just go for the next Netflix movie. Oh, this series, you know, suits, suits me, suits me not. <laughs> One series after the other. One sporting event after the other. They, they're great to watch. Great for your stress level. They're amazing. But are you a worshiper? Sure. Will you stand with me tonight? Thank you for listening. Remember that our sermon audio and videos are also available on Shofar TV. Go to www.shofaronline.tv to download and share.